questions real quick before we move on here. Um, if it's your first time, we're glad you're here. Uh, let's go ahead and just be real honest. We're not a perfect church, okay? So let, let, let's just get that out of the way. But we want you to come. You're welcome here. And uh, hopefully you can help us be become even more imperfectly perfect. Huh? You like that? Okay. Also, a few things. We've got uh, Wednesday nights. If you guys haven't been coming to Wednesday nights yet, it's a blast. We're talking Jesus, and then we're talking politics, and those two things mix really fun. So if you, if you, haven't, if you haven't been here, you want to. It's a really good time. Very laid back. Um, it is Pastor's Appreciation Month, okay? Uh, I expect you all to take out your wallets right now and put them in the basket as we pass. No? I got this cool mug on Wednesday. Figured I'd use it. We have a lot of pastors here on staff. If you feel led to... Take someone out to eat, okay? Just do something small for them. You know, we have a lot of guys who work really, really hard, guys and ladies, okay, who work very, very hard. And if you have something on your heart to bless them, I encourage you to go ahead and do so. Um, we do still need some volunteers for Wednesday nights. Honestly, we need volunteers for everything, okay, as we continue to grow. And so if you'd like to get involved, please do that. And uh, after service, I will be at the Next Steps Corner if you want to come and chat. Basically, that's where you find out everything about the church. If you have a question... That's where you want to go. And after service, the ladies will be registering for the conference. If you want to find out more info about the conference or if you want to register, there will be a table out there by the next steps corner. Am I good? I think I'm good. Last one. Right, do you guys have these? Do you have these? Come on. Yes. Okay. If you didn't, someone's about to get in trouble. Okay. All right. You need to have these. All right. You might not be the most comfortable person with trying to invite people to church. I know it's awkward. I'm a pastor, and I'm even awkward inviting people to church, okay? Please, here's my challenge. Just one person, okay? Invite one person. If you are too afraid to even invite your neighbor or your family or your friend, here's what you can do, okay? When you go out to eat somewhere, leave a $20 tip or more and leave it on top of the card with your name on it. Good? Okay, everyone can hand out one of these. Hand out one. That's your challenge for the week. Um, we start our new series, Love His Church, next Sunday. Have you guys seen, uh, I think nationally, I mean, there are so many churches who are doing the I Love My Church series. Have you guys seen those shirts and signs? And, and honestly, that entire campaign is an awesome, awesome thing. But for us, there's one thing that I really wanted to shift on, and it was just, we need to find out what His church is supposed to look like. Because we're imperfect, we know that. And, you know, God loves, you know, all of us and, and all of our churches, but we got to find out what in the world is this church supposed to look like. And so what happens in scriptures is Jesus goes and he uses his, this famous word, kingdom. And everything he talks about is talking kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And then once he passes, we end up having this transition of language. And so now the new word to describe what the kingdom looks like becomes church. And so we're going to have a really awesome transition. We've been talking kingdom nonstop for two months, and now we're going to tell you what's the kingdom look like when it touches the earth. What's the kingdom look like when it touches a bunch of imperfectly awesome people who have to come together with all their good and bad to serve God? What does it look like? And so I encourage you to be there again. The whole context is this. What did Jesus die to create? You know, and The answer is the church. And so if we don't uncover from the Scriptures what he died to create, what the hope of the world is. By the way, did you know that you are the hope of the world? Did you know that? Yeah. Everyone says, no, I thought Jesus. Yeah, Jesus in who? His body, his church, that would be you. All right, we're going to have a fun series. I can tell no one's coming next Sunday, right? Again, you don't want to miss it. 
it's going to be exciting as usual. It's going to be challenging, but the whole point is, you know, to continue to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, well, Father, we're here this morning. We ask that you would interrupt us. Father, we already have the entire day planned out. We know how we want things to go. We know how we want church to go, how we want it to feel. I've got my sermon outline, all that good stuff. Lord, we invite you to have your way, even in the details, even in the small things we make room for you. We declare that you alone, Lord Jesus, are the king of our hearts and of our minds, of our lives, of our choices, of our families, Father, of our finances. We declare you alone are king, and we just want to give you control. And so we just come to you, and we ask that your word would change us, and transform us, and renew us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, sad news. Last week of K-Cups. Oh, come on, everybody. No one? Okay, all right. I'm sad about, okay, this being the last week of K-Cups. I uh, just can't believe that we're about to move on. It seems like this series is supposed to go on a lot longer. I'm sure we'll talk about kingdoms some more, right? We'll find some new names for it. We are here in, in uh, week five of this kingdom series. And uh, when I was preparing for this, this Sunday, a few things were kind of hitting me. And, and how do I say this nicely? What really kind of convinced, <laughs> just laughing. What really kind of convicted my heart personally, just me, was how long I've been teaching. I mean, how many sermons and teachings and small lessons I've done. How long I've been studying the scriptures. How many hours I've been studying scriptures. And if I were being honest, okay, all that really mattered to me in the Bible about Jesus was that he was born and that he died and he rose again. Basically, the Gospels in all four books... All I really needed was the first two chapters and the last two chapters. And what happened in between didn't mean much to me. Think about that for a second. When I realized that most of my thinking about God, most of my understanding of what he wanted for me, most of my understanding about what I was here for, what my life was about, what existence was about, what breathing and you know being was about, when I realized that most of my framework for everything excluded the entire life of Jesus. All that mattered was that he loved me, so he came and he was born, and then he died for my sins, and he rose from the dead. But nothing in the middle mattered. Is that making sense at all? Okay. I don't think so yet. Okay, I don't think we're there yet. When I realized that nothing that he actually said or did really impacted the way I think, that bothered me deeply. When I realized that I put more weight on the epistles, whenever I realized that I put more weight on how Paul told me that him being born and dying was all that mattered, that really kind of bothered me. And, it, and again, the Apostle Paul is absolutely right and accurate, but what I was missing was Jesus. And we talk about getting to know Jesus and following Jesus and serving Jesus, but we don't even study Jesus. I mean, think about this. I mean, how many lessons have you heard about Jesus and things he was doing, things he was saying, and what his message was. It scares me even to this day that I went so long teaching without teaching on his message, which was what? Kingdom. One thing I realize is that almost every other gospel I've ever heard, even the ones I taught, can be added into my life. I can have my life, and then I can add this. But I realize that the kingdom gospel can't be. When you understand his message of kingdom, 
you understand that this is something that to accept it requires complete and total overhaul from top to bottom of everything in you and everything in your life. The kingdom gospel says, I am your king. On Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I'm your king in your choices. I'm your king with your money. I'm your king with your family. I'm your king with your dreams. I'm your king when it comes to your job. I'm your king in every single place. I am looking to follow a single leader. There's one person I follow in every part of my life, and that is King Jesus. And when you begin to realize that was the message Jesus brought, that is not as comfortable as the things that most of us were taught, things that I taught. You cannot study Jesus without being shocked and impacted by how important, how every single thing he said was permeated by this understanding of kingdom. And that there is no, there is no in-between with Jesus. He was always as clear as day. To be in my kingdom, here's the line, it, it, it's simple and easy. It just costs everything else. Now over here, it's great, but the cost is very simple. Everything else. There's no fitting Jesus into our lives. Rah, rah, amen, right? Everyone's like, we can't wait to get to talk about church. Yeah, you'd think so. <laughs> you wait. All right. Now that I've already done that, how you guys feeling today? You guys feeling good? <laughs> I'm feeling good. Here we go. We have been going on this for four weeks. Again, kingdom, 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 kingdom. What is this thing? What? I mean, this message that he came here to bring us, everything he taught us was about kingdom. So what we've done is to try to make it... Approachable to try to help us kind of get our minds and our hearts around what the kingdom is. What are we really accepting when we accept Jesus? We have broken it down into five different parables, of course, same parables that he taught. And last week, we had a really interesting one about the great wedding banquet. And of course, in this one, it was a parable of judgment and grace. And so what we found out was that everyone was invited. There's only one king. There's only one person throwing the party. And you have to accept his terms. And once you come into the party... The beautiful thing is, there's judgment. That's exciting, right? But judgment based on what? Grace. We find out that the only thing these people were actually judged on, because again, the people who got the invites turned them down, and then they went and found the people on the what? The street corners. And we all know good things happen on street corners. And so the people who, again, shouldn't even be in the room with a king were invited. But there was judgment, and it was only based on that one thing. Did they receive the invitation? Did they accept what was being offered? That is judgment and grace. We have a God who is so gracious and good and all these great things, but there is judgment, but it's very simple. Are you going to receive what he's offering or are you not? It sounds sweet, but right? The price is very simple, right? It just costs us what? Everything. So if you're a person on the street corner who doesn't have much to lose, it, it's, it's a great deal, right? But if you're one of those people who has other things to do, you have a business to run, you have a, an ox to, to feed, right? And again, these are all the, the, the excuses. For that kind of, you guys are like, what is he talking about? Okay, 
These are all the excuses that they gave for not coming to the wedding. If you've got other business going on, if you've got other things, if you've got tanglements in this world that you're not willing to let go of. Because remember, the issue wasn't that they had businesses or had wives and, and husbands. It wasn't that they had families. It wasn't that they had money and things. It was that they wouldn't put it down when the king called. Are you getting that? It's not that you have to be poor. I mean, if we were all absolutely poor, we wouldn't have a building. I want you to be blessed and highly favored in Jesus' name, right? And then give. <laughs> come, on, come on, loosen up, loosen up with me. Okay. Yeah, blessed and highly favored, okay? The head not the tail. I want that for you because we need it. <laughs> we all need it, okay? It's not the stuff. It's not having things. He gives you the things. It's that in every point you have to be willing to put them down for the king. When he calls, I answer. When he speaks, I obey. That is kingdom living. Make sense? All right, so we're going to top this whole thing off with my favorite parable, the prodigal son. And, and with this one, I honestly believe it was wrongly titled. I believe it should be called the, the parable of the two prodigal sons. Because we find out there's two of them. It's not just one, okay? And so in this, we always have to kind of find out what's the context. What's going on before and after? Why is Jesus even talking about this? And so when you begin to break down this whole thing, here's the setting, okay? We are now in the middle of his ministry, okay? He's in the, if you would, he's gone past being a newcomer. Now he's got large crowds following him everywhere. And his first message, which he was hitting home like crazy, was kingdom, kingdom, kingdom when they were first finding him. And now he's talking kingdom, kingdom of grace. And so he's now starting to teach them what grace means. And so his crowds are always mixed, as is beautiful, okay? And what's going on here is that there is now a new, how would you put this? a new slight towards Jesus, okay? He's becoming known for something. Jesus has a reputation, okay? Would you like to know what it is? No, we don't, okay. Luke chapter 15, open up your Bibles, guys. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear him. All the people from the street corners, my friends, okay? Were all gathering to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay? This is what's kind of setting the table. Okay? The parable that we're about to open up is in response to this accusation. They're saying, how can this teacher okay, come and welcome sinners, first of all? Because surely if he's a man of God, he would know there's sin in the room. Okay? Why would he even let them around him? Okay? And then secondly, why would he eat with them? And if you've been here at Grace Church for a while, you've already heard the understanding of this. If you haven't, what's going on here is the culture, okay? In this culture, to eat with someone is one of the most intimate things that you can do in this culture. And it's one of the most political. When you sit down with someone, you are saying, okay, this person, okay, has value. This person is of equal status with me. It's a status thing. Okay? If I were poor and you were not, I would not eat with you. Okay? If you were holy and I was not, you would not eat with me. Does that make sense? Okay? It's a statement. Okay? It, it's saying, how about this? How about at high school? Okay? Who had a table you sat at in high school? What did it say about you, the table you sat at, right? Said everything you need to know. You walk in the room, look around, okay, this is this table, this is this table. Who, and again, where you sit, it's a statement about who you think you are. I'm in the end table, I'm cool, I'm at the popular table, you know, I'm a jock, I'm a, and all the other ones that, you know, all, anyways, <laughs> you, all, you all know where that goes, right? 
And so Jesus should be at the end table. All, because all of the end people are following him. The teepers, the teepers, the teachers, okay, of the law and the Pharisees, you know, the Sadducees, all these guys, they're following him. He should be making time for them. Think about that. Because doesn't he know that they're important? But who's he making time for? He's sitting at the table that you don't want to sit at, okay? And so this, again, is an indictment because he is telling them who he is. This is who I am, and most importantly, he's saying, this is who are my people. Because he loves saying that stupid line, doesn't he? The last shall be first. So who's he sitting with? Losers. All you guys at the cool table in high school are like, Now, again, here's the context, all right? Remember, he is, he's being accused and attacked of this because his entire message is he's saying very simply, okay? God is doing a new thing, and the new thing is with these people, losers. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you've got to humble yourself and come to the table, the loser table, all right? I mean, think about that. That's, 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 it's a little bit challenging, okay? If you want what God's doing, God's over here with these guys. And the Pharisees are not willing to give it up. They've worked too hard. They've fasted too many times. They've prayed so many hours. They have given up so much for God. Why would they give that up to be with the losers? The ones who haven't earned anything, the ones who haven't gone to school, the ones who don't have a degree, the ones who don't have money, the ones who don't have a job, the ones who aren't responsible. Why would, why would they humble themselves to be at that table. Enter this story, okay? Now, let's, let's all go to uh, Luke chapter 15. We're going to go to verse 11. So in response to that, he, he tells them the first story. He tells them the parable of the lost sheep, which I believe Pastor Larry taught in week two, okay? And then he tells them the parable of the lost coin. This is all the same discussion, okay? And now... To really kind of emphasize this entire thing, he goes to the parable of the lost son. <clears throat> now, I don't have time to do this whole thing. It's very long. But simply put, here's what happens, okay? We actually, let's read it. How about that? You want to just read it? Ugh. Whose throat's a little itchy today? Anybody? Okay. Anyways, all right. I guess it's me. All right, here we go. Verse 11. So Jesus continued. Again, he's, he's emphasizing the point. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, dis- he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. I guess that's kind of like the what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas thing, right? Okay. Everyone, I will do whatever it takes to shake you to, to remember this isn't just a story, okay? This has meaning, all right? You don't know the story yet, all right? That's the most dangerous thing about Scripture is we all think we understand it. We don't. I don't, and I love it. Okay, here we go. Verse 14. Yeah, all right, amen. After you had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. 
Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Here's the second prodigal, everybody. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Pause with me. It's that guy. It's that guy who just can't stand people having a good time. I mean, it's, it's probably me, honestly. It's probably me. I would just be, okay. I mean, he's out working his butt off, and, he come, and they're having a party. I love that. He hears music and dancing, and he gets ticked. He's like, that's awesome. Okay. Sorry. Verse 26. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come. And he, and he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me any young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive, lost and is found. Now, for everyone who's really been paying attention to all the parables that we've been doing, if you notice, there's reference to almost every other parable that we've done in here. The lost coin was in there. The wedding bank was in there. He, 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 in Jesus' true fashion, he finds a way to just put these little nuggets in. For anyone who's really paying attention, anyone, anyone who has ears to hear and eyes to see, is noticing that Jesus is connecting dots again. Okay, uh, he's, he's quite tricky, that one, I'll tell you. Now, What's so interesting about this is that in Luke chapter 14, the previous chapter, okay, we get the, the parable of the banquet feast. Now, this is the exact same story as the one that we taught last week, the one in Matthew 22. It's the exact same story except for it's not being thrown by a Lord and there's no judgment in it. Remember, Jesus is still teaching on grace at this time in his ministry. And so we see, again, the same kind of a table being set, okay? One of the first things to notice here is that what is the most common picture that God is throwing, if you would, at us for what it looks like when we receive him? Holler it out, someone. Yes! How many stinking parties have they been throwing in in these parables, right? Everyone's like, what are you talking about? When they found the lost sheep, what happened? A party. When they found the lost coin, what happened? A party. At the wedding bake, when the son's getting married, what happens? A party. Okay. I mean, over and over again, what is God saying very simply to you, okay? This is a good thing. It's a party, okay? You want to go to this thing. I mean, okay, there's been lame parties. We all know that. But this is a good party, and you want to be at this party. It's so good that this brother's ticked off, okay? 
you want to be a part of this. I mean, we get so stuffy, okay, when we come in churches. And we're sitting here reading this, this, this oh, a party. You know, I mean, like, what do you picture when you picture a party? By the way, they're drinking alcohol, let me just tell you. And I'm not saying that we're going to do that. I'm just saying this is a lively event. If you weren't paying attention last week in, in chapter 22, when, when we're reading about the wedding banquet, they were getting rowdy, okay? I'm just telling you, this, it's not what you picture. That's all I'm trying to say, okay? I'm not telling you heaven's going to be, we're all drunk. I'm not saying that at all, okay? That's not what we're saying. Oh, Lord, please edit that off the video, okay? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that we have such a, ah, it's like a stained glass picture of what God is like, what heaven's like, and if we would just read the book, we just read it. It makes so much sense. Anyways, God's throwing a party, if you didn't know, and he has invited you. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go ahead and uh, start breaking this thing down, okay? What we'll do here is um, we will kind of give you the headlines up on the screen, and then I'll, I'll kind of freestyle with it. So if you're taking notes, if anything jumps out, you know, I encourage you to write it down. Here's the first thing to notice when you are studying this parable, okay? You need to notice the request and the split. Now, I'll explain this. This is in Luke 15, verses 11 and 12, the request and the split. What's happening here, the request comes from the younger son to the father, okay? Here's what he says. He's, he says, uh, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, when we think about this parable, most of us realize that the younger son got all his money. He runs off and, and squanders it. Few of us notice that both sons get the inheritance. Are you seeing this? They both get the inheritance, okay? Now, this gets very important when we, when we begin to analyze the older son's response. I mean, here he is going, why did you give him the fat calf? You know, I mean, what do you complain about? You own the farm, man. I mean, this guy owns this. Anyways, okay. It's a whole other thing. Notice that, again, it's split between two brothers. Also, notice this. It's the younger son who's demanding his inheritance. Now, even today, in the culture we have today, that would be considered slightly out of line, okay? And in this culture, it's considered scandalous. I love that word. I've tried not to use that word this year because I used it way too much last year, okay? But the gospel is scandalous, and that's exactly what's happening here. And the most scandalous thing about this is, is that the father agreed to it. The inheritance gets handed over. Now, now, the inheritance gets decided before he passes. I mean, it's, it's completely based on how many sons he has. So it's, it's already known who gets what, okay? But the fact that he distributes it before he dies is a huge, huge note. We are going to study the, um, this parable at, like, this level. But if you go down to this level, there's all sorts of death and resurrection themes, and I don't have time to do that. But I'm telling you, the fact is, they're acting like the father's dead. This is the very big thing here, okay? Secondly, when you're taking notes, the prodigal's escape and his collapse. This is in verses 13 through 16, okay? This is where he goes off to, just, to a different country. Let's go ahead and read this, uh, verse 13. Not long after that, after he gets his money, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Now, notice this, okay? What is Jesus teaching? The kingdom, right? When you picture kingdom, there's a land, right? Again, there is all of this in here is a kingdom. This is where 
God rules, right? Well, they're taking this, Jesus is, and applying it to the Father. So what's he doing? He's leaving his Father's domain. Are you seeing this? He's going to a distant country. He's leaving where his Father has safety and provision and protection for the Son. He's leaving it. Again, he's speaking to people who are accusing him. Okay, what he's doing. And he's saying, hey, if you want to come in, you come in. But if you don't, here's what happens to you when you leave my kingdom. Okay? There's a lot going on here, guys. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Now, what happens here is he goes out here, you know, to a foreign land. And he, he spends everything he has. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Understand, he has traded, when he chose to leave his father's house, he is trading in sonship, a place where he is a son, he is an heir, he has authority and power, and he's trading that in to be an alien in a foreign land. Are you seeing this? When we trade in our sonship, we accept slavery. Yeah. Everyone's like, what are you talking The Apostle Paul makes it very clear to us. We choose either to be a son of Jesus, in essence, a slave to Jesus, and again, it, that's not how he treats us, okay? Or we become a slave to what? Sin. Amen, we can go home. And so he trades in his sonship for slavery. That's what happens at Every time that we reject the kingdom of God, every time in any area of our lives that we choose to, to move Jesus from the throne of that part of our lives, we are enslaving that part of our lives to another master. And there are only two masters at work in this world, okay? And we have to choose which one we want to serve. Um, and what's interesting, again, you know, if you understand the context here, he is a Jew. There are all sorts of rules and regulations about what Jews are to do, and there are a few things that would be more despicable than for a Jew who had independence, who was separated from Gentiles, to sell himself and come underneath the control of one. This is, this is a very bad thing he's doing. And on top of that, where does he end up? He ends up hanging out with the pigs. Do you guys know what kosher means, right? Okay, okay. This is not kosher, okay? This is where this word comes from, okay? The biggest no-no, okay, for a Jew, for a Muslim as well, okay, is to be with these unclean animals, okay? Pictures of spiritual uncleanliness, okay? He has just disqualified himself, okay, from the ability to enter the temple. Now, he is now handed over sonship. He's not welcome anymore with his community, with his father's home, but now he is now disqualified him disqualified himself to enter and approach God. You're seeing this. This guy is losing everything he ever had. The cost of sin is great, my friends. And he is losing everything that he had because of this choice to leave the kingdom. Okay? You guys want more? Okay. Third point here, okay? The not-so-good revelation. The not-so-good revelation. This is in verses 17 through 19. Here we go. He says, uh, when he came to his senses, it took him a while to come to his senses, by the way. Okay, He's now with the pigs, you know, trying to steal their slop. He said, how many of my father's hired men 
have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against uh, heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. This is one of the most central things in this entire parable. Understand, this son's entire life, this entire path, was because he did not understand the heart of his father for him. Because we know what happens, right? He returns and what? Right back to sonship. But he so fundamentally misunderstands how his father sees him that now he's here trying to count up, okay, so I was here with, with my dad and I did this and this and this. Ooh, he's really going to be mad about that. So maybe, I mean, I can't really, there's no way that I've earned sonship again, but maybe I've earned the right to be a slave in this house. This is what Christianity without grace looks like. We begin to add up the things we've done or things we haven't done, and we begin to evaluate. What am I worth to God? Okay. We'll hit this one again. (laughs) It's called scorekeeping. It's the way that we begin to evaluate how we're doing. It's how we keep scores. It's how we know if we're doing well, if we're not doing well. <clears throat> it's called judgment. Now, not judging each other, and I'm just saying that this is how we <clears throat> sit down to make a judgment to decide how we are doing. Now, I don't have time to unpack all this, but this goes all the way back to the garden. This goes all the way back to whenever we gain the knowledge of good and evil and the ability to make judgments, to be God. He is sitting in his father's role. Is it his job to evaluate his worth to his dad? No, it's his dad's decision. Does that make sense? Okay. It's God's place to evaluate your worth to him, not yours. And you will spend your entire life trying to have in the system, well, oh, my goodness, well, I stumbled this time and this time, but then I went to church and I was doing really good, and, but then this happened and this happened, and, then, and you will have this constant weight and pressure an entire life about that's completely a lie. Well, you know, maybe if I do this, I'll make them happy. Moving on to verse 20. This is called the Father's Welcome and the Father's Feast. Verse 20. <clears throat> so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off. This is the accounting of the father. Okay. It didn't matter what he had done. It didn't matter what his state was. I mean, I mean, again, think about this guy. I mean, ugh, he's nasty, smelly. He's been with the pigs. I mean, he's been on a long journey, as you guys all know. He, he wasn't exactly taking a, uh, you know, a taxi or something, okay? He's walking. He, he's on donkeys. He's on horses. It's awful. This guy's nasty. And from a long ways off, none of that factors into the equation for the father. Do you really think that, that he had no idea what his son was doing? There's one thing that I've learned travels fast, and it is bad news. Right? I mean, it travels fast. Like, when anyone that I used to know that I used to know that I used to know does anything bad, I find out, like, the next day, especially on Facebook. I'm telling you. There's no way his father didn't see the update on Facebook. I mean, he knew, okay? And in this culture, everything the son does reflects on the father. So he is now being shamed by everyone around him. Your son did this, and your son did that. It never factors in. Not a single thing that this son is counting up ever factors into his father. Not a single thing. 
while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And I just love that. If you've ever been a long way off, you know that one of the, the worst feelings is feeling like you can't be seen, like, like he doesn't want to see you. It's almost like you have to stay in your room when you're bad. Do you guys ever, I don't know, do you guys ever do that? But even beyond that, to be seen, to be acknowledged, you know, to be, it's a powerful thing. And was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. One of the things I love here, again, it's another picture of this. He's telling this right after he's told the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Which every time in these stories, right, when there's a lost sheep, the shepherd did what? He went and got it. He found it, right? When there's a lost coin, the shepherd, I mean, not the shepherd, the woman does what? She goes and finds the coin. The son does not find the father. The father finds the son. You have to see this. And the father runs and pursues him. He's the one who initiates this relationship. Powerful stuff. Throws his arms around him. Kissed him. The son's in him. Father, I have sinned against you. All blah, blah, blah. He's basically ignoring him right now. Um, but the father said to his, his servants, quick, bring the best robe. If you notice, he doesn't even answer the son. He's like, boy, what is wrong with you? How could you even think that that's how I see you? He doesn't even respond to it. I love that. You know, the, the son's got his rehearsed speech. I've done this and this and this. And the father's like, hey, you, you, you know. I mean, he's not even paying attention. It, it never even factors in for his father. So they bring the best robe. They put it on. They bring a ring. Put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. And again, each one of these things are symbolic of all different things. But here's the point, okay? <clears throat> the robe goes on before the shower. Now, I am a pastor, and you would not like to hear some of the conversations I have. <laughs> Most of the really unpleasant conversations I have are with people who are unhappy that people come in this church before they shower. Natural, too, but I'm talking spiritual. You know, I'm, I'm talking sin, okay? That person needs to shower before they come in here. My friend, they deserve the same robe that you got before you got cleaned up from being with the pigs. Okay, the robe comes first. Now, again, the, the, this is all, there's imagery with the robe, with the ring, with the calf, with the sandals. We don't, have, we don't have time for all that. But just understand this. Everything that was lost was restored. Meaning everything in this guy, I mean, here he is with the pigs. Again, he's counting all his, his wrongs and he's done. And he's also recounting everything he's lost. I used to be a son. I used to have my room. But surely that's all gone. So now I have to be a servant. Nothing was lost. And this is a very powerful understanding of grace. Okay, and this is also a, a, a picture of the resurrection. Nothing that we believe was lost or is lost is. That's a whole other one, right? Everyone's like, yeah, we can, come on, slow down. All right, here we go. Let's wrap it up with our second prodigal boy. All right, he's my favorite character. He reminds me of myself in all the worst ways possible. All right, here we go. Luke 15, verse 25, okay, the other prodigal's reaction. Again, there's two of them, okay? Here he comes up. Uh, Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. I just love that line right there. He was in the field. He's out working, okay? Have you ever been in any situation where you are busting your tail and the person who did nothing is the one you know, who's getting showered with all the credit, who's getting the reward, who's getting the raise? Come on, anybody? I mean, my goodness. Okay, okay. 
Here's this pastor working real hard. His church ain't growing, but that pastor ain't doing nothing. Okay. <laughs> That's my analogy, okay? Here I am, you know, working in the field. Okay. Everyone's like, okay, back it up. Too much. Okay, sorry. All right. Yeah. Amen to that. Focus. Okay. Here we go. So when he came near, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Love that. So he called one of the servants. Understand, this is not like a pleasant call, okay? Get over here. All right. And so he calls him over here, and he asks him what's going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. I think you guys can connect all the dots, okay? They're, they're throwing this big party. And, and again, we have to understand, too, I mean, it, it's not like the father even necessarily, literally, has fattened calves, and he's already divided things, okay? This, this farm has now been handed over. Anyways, he's not happy about this, okay? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now this, he refused to go into the party. And this is, is another direct connection. He had just told the parable of the banquet, where God sends out the invitations, and everyone has a reason to deny, to say no, to skip the party, Okay? we all have a good reason. We all have a good reason, because again, remember, this is the kingdom analogy. We all have a good reason to not be willing to give something up for Jesus. We all have something, okay? And we have to be willing, whatever that reason is, okay? And the reason here is that he's being wrong. Offense. I'm not preaching to anybody today. Offense, okay. Offense, no, anyway, okay. Here he is, offended. And he's even right, too, by the way. Sometimes you have to give up the right to be right, all right? And he is correct, he is right, okay? By every scorecard that there could ever be in the world, this son is the one who should be getting the party, not the other one. But the problem is this scorecard is not of this world. It has nothing to do with the way that we treat things. This world, by the way, is nothing like the one that we're to be a part of. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. So here he comes. He's angry. He, he refuses to go in. And then he starts his speech. If you notice, both sons have a speech. Here he goes. He says, and he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... You can hear the sarcasm in that. Who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Uh, 31. My son, the father, said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. This here, neither son gets this. This is what creates the choices that both sons make. This is what creates prodigals. Neither one understood the heart of their father. He says, everything I have is yours. You are always with me. In essence, saying, I am always with you. There's nothing that these sons could do, okay, to forfeit their right at the party except for one thing, to choose not to go. 
Understand, when there's a party, okay, there, there is a cultural norm here, okay? It's, again, it's, it's very political, it's very social, meaning there are places for everyone to seat. There are assigned seats for those who are important. And, and, and as the, the eldest son, this, this son's right is to sit at the right hand of his father. Does that sound familiar to any analogies? Okay, yeah, Jesus makes this one, by the way. <clears throat> there is a seat for the eldest son right there by his father. He's not only skipping a party, okay, he is, he's dishonoring his father, but he is forfeiting his seat at the table. So the first son trades in his sonship, his seat at the left hand of the father for prostitutes and whatever else, right? The second son trades in his sonship for offense. Which one's right? Neither is right. That's the whole point, right? You are one of them. That's the problem. You are one of them. I'm one of them. Which one are we? And here's the best test, okay? One of the things about scorekeeping, which scorekeeping is is any way of trying to understand God outside of grace, okay? Scorekeeping is for anyone who where you, you feel better about yourself when you look at someone else. If you've ever looked at someone else and said, ooh, I'm doing pretty good. If you've, when you're in the room with that gossiper, you know, and they're just, man, 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 about this, I mean, you go, oh, Lord have mercy, I'm doing good. When, you, when you're in the job site with that guy who's just cussing up and down all over the place, you know, talking about all sorts of crude things, you say, man, at least I'm not right there. And this sounds a lot like what? The parable of the vineyard workers, right? Yeah, it does. And then when you watch the news and you hear about ISIS, should I take that one back? That's a form of scorekeeping. At least I didn't cut someone's head off. I think everyone can say that in this room. As terrible and awful, despicable even, that that is. There's nothing in these actions that, there's nothing in that person's sin that better qualifies me for the table. The fact that this person has sin or has terrible sin or has mounds of sin or is just this huge, terrible human being, it doesn't qualify me more. It doesn't matter how stinky that person is, it doesn't change the fact that I've got deodorant on, but I still stink underneath it. Have you guys been to Walmart around noon? There's some people that you like to walk to the deodorant aisle and you think, at least I took a shower and have deodorant on. You're just masking what you are. Since we're in Arkansas, you're putting lipstick on the pig. Right? I should probably repent right now, right? You guys are all like, at least we're not that guy. At least we're not him. Woo. I can't help it. I read the Gospels too much. He just pokes with people. I just love how Jesus messes with people. It looks like fun. I want to try. Here's the thing, okay? If we do that to any extent, 
It is revealing that we are not living in grace. To live on grace means to accept that nothing that I've done counts except for receiving the invitation. If, if, if the reason that I am able to receive God and inherit everything He has is because the Lamb was slain, Jesus died, His blood was shed, then has nothing to do with me except for receiving it. Nothing. But this affects both brothers in a different way. If you're the brother who's just, you know what you've done. It's easy for you to say, I stink. It's easy for you to look at your life and say, I made this mistake, I did this wrong. If that is you, here's your problem, okay? Grace won't let you pay back your debts. It won't let you right your wrongs. It won't let you hang your head. It won't let you feel bad about it. It won't let you take that with you. You've got to be willing to let them put the cloak on before you run to the shower. For the others of you in the room, the other brother, grace won't let you count your rights. It won't let you demand to be acknowledged for all your hard work. Grace won't let you point your finger at anybody. problem with grace is it forces both of us, whichever side you're on, whichever brother you are, it forces all of us to lay it all down, good and bad. And if you have all bad, what's well, a great deal for you? Okay? If, it, if you think you have all this good stuff, well, you're just, you've got deodorant on. Good for you. I'll come check you out at 2 a.m. See how you smell. Not very good. Okay? This is what grace is. This is what grace does. And we have one thing to be judged on. This is what judgment on grace is about. We have to choose to accept grace and live by grace and extend grace. If you are really living as if all of your right and wrong has been forgiven and you have a fresh start, you are living grace, no one living in grace will withhold grace. You can't, because it shows you're not living in it. The moment that you're not willing to extend forgiveness to someone else, it shows that you're not willing to receive it either. You're not ready for it yet. Well, it is 12 o'clock. We're going to end right now, right on the dot. How about that? You guys would stay.